0: And this is the Unlearning Podcast, the show where we hear stories and interviews with myself and guests that reveal rules, beliefs, and behaviors that are actively or have in the past prevented us from moving closer to living our most authentic and liberated lives. At The Unlearning, there really is no topic too silly or too serious for us to examine together, so join us each episode as we pull up the hood on why it is we do what we do and the areas in our lives that could benefit from an unlearning. Hello, beautiful people. I am so excited to be here with you today. And before we get into the show, I wanted to do some housekeeping and ask if you guys could please go on to Spotify and give us a five-star review, head over to Apple Podcasts, write us a review and give us a rating. This is the way that the show grows and how the algorithms work. If you guys give us these reviews and we're able to reach more people's ears and it's just gonna help us to be able to bring you guys more episodes with great content and help us grow for the future. So as far as today's episode, I'm really excited to be recording the first episode of the year for 2022, and we are starting off with a bang. Today, I am joined by Nico Barraza, who is an ex-pro athlete become full-time professional life coach. Nico works with individuals as well as couples to help build more conscious relationships with themselves and with each other, as well as working with pro athletes to take their performance to the next level. Nico is also the host of his very own podcast called Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul, which has really taken off since 2020 when it started. And today Nico is joining me to talk about unity, we talked about consciousness, we even dove into some relationship things that helped us to be able to kind of paint a picture on our own past and how we've ended up where we are today. And Nico shares great advice if you're looking to do your own personal work, whether it's with yourself or in a relationship. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed being part of the conversation. So without further ado, here's the episode. thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, uh, Dominique. Thanks so much for having me on your show. It's uh, lovely to be a guest again. Usually I'm hosting um, people on on my podcast, but it's I'm excited to talk to you and excited to be on the, the other side of the, the mic.
0: Oh yeah. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the other side of the mic coming out of the retreat that you and I just attended with the awesome mm-hmm. Vanessa Bennett and Danae Logan. There was just so much that Intrigued me about your background and about the things that you were bringing up in our groups, so couldn't think of a better person to have on right now. I feel like so many people are having some sort of awakening. It feels very much like the last couple of years have put us into a place where people are going deeper emotionally, at least that's what I'm seeing online and what my algorithm is telling me. It seems like social consciousness is waking up, so I'm excited to dig in.
1: Me too. Me too.
0: You have a very unique background, you are serving as a life coach, but you used to be a pro athlete. So can you tell us just a little bit about how a pro athlete ends up where you are today?
1: Yeah, so in 2013, uh, so I played baseball and volleyball in college, I was always kind of an explosive athlete. And then um, I had a, a professor in undergrad that got me into ultra running, which is like long distance running like 30 miles or more, you know, primarily in the mountains, but you know, it's all, it's all variable. And, um, I randomly sort of fell into the sport of ultra running, you know, for better or for worse, uh, and sort of turned pro after, you know, getting some notoriety maybe in 2014, 2015, signed my first contract. And then, um, I was pretty much a full-time mountain athlete, whether it be, you know, ultra running or gravel cycling or sort of ski mountaineering for these different brands that were sponsoring me um but while this is going on i've always been sort of a deep introspective person um and when i was 23 i took myself to therapy for the first time after uh, my first real heartbreak um and you know just learned a lot about myself about my childhood about um the the wonderful human beings that raised me you know the the amazing things they gave me and the not so amazing things i learned as well too Um, and then you know i really started to i've always you know, my mom is a librarian, so I grew up reading a lot of, a lot of stuff, and, and I remember reading Daniel Goleman's uh, book, Emotional Intelligence, maybe when I was like 15, you know, pretty young to be reading that. And I've always been into this kind of sort of, you know, the deeper parts of the human experience, sort of or psyche, soul, spirituality. And honestly, I was writing a lot when I was running and posting stuff on social media, and people just really connected with it. You know, it wasn't like some athlete just sharing like this beautiful photo on top of a mountain with some like oh my life is amazing it's great i always talked about sort of the darker deeper parts of the soul as well as the lighter parts and um not to make it seem like i was a perfectly comp- complete human being i was still running from plenty of shit during this time right um but i really was making an effort to discover myself and uh one thing led to another and you know within the past couple years during during the pandemic i started this podcast starve the ego feed the soul that has sort of blown up um it's like trending in the top 5% on apple and spotify right now and uh through that podcast i met people like the two women you brought up um, who are both practicing therapists and just kind of got into life and relationship coaching because people really started to align with what i was saying and you know um i think for a while there i had this like imposter syndrome mentality you know we Mm -hmm. kind of discussed this off air a little bit and i was like oh i need a certificate i need to be a certified therapist and you know, having been in therapy for so long, quite frankly, like school is incredible, but it but school alone doesn't qualify you to work with people, right? Some people have the, the sort of natural talent for that, and I started to sort of believe in my natural ability, my intuition, and my ability to help people um, connect and find parts of themselves that they traditionally been running from or avoiding, right? As I do the work on myself, and so you know, the past year I've started to work with individuals, couples, uh, athletes at the high school, collegiate, pro level. Um, on a whole host of things, you know, just like self-awareness, uh, relationships with self, with others in a, in the workplace, um, you know, self-empowerment, like finding a purpose, you know, uh, giving back through service, a community, a bunch of different things, um, with people. And it's, it's not, um, much different than therapy, I will say, but my approach, I feel like to the healing and therapeutic process is a little different than standard therapy Mm. at least is what they teach in in most standard therapy schools right there's a bunch of different schools out there so that's how i got into it and um i gotta say i'm i'm so blessed to be doing this um it really speaks to my soul i wake up every morning very much um looking forward to the conversations i'm gonna have with my clients um creating content recording podcast episodes like i'm you know you know, when you just find something, you're just like, I'm supposed to be doing this. It's like, you know, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So working on my first book right now, getting ready for a course launch and working on my first retreat, which will be next fall. And here we are talking to beautiful people like you. So
0: it's interesting to hear even at a really young age, you already had a soul calling into diving in deep behind the psyche. Yeah. Coming from somebody who's been in therapy. I do know what you're saying. Just because you have a certificate or a degree doesn't make you the right person. Mm. One of the things that really can make somebody stand out in terms of being someone who can help others in this life coaching type of path or therapy path is having been through their own awakening of sorts. Mm, Um, Was there a certain time in life that you feel like you kind of hit that? And what did that look like? (laughs)
1: <laughs> no i love this question that uh there were multiple awakenings uh, in my life um the first was my grandfather passing away he uh, i grew up with a single mother so he was my father figure in life and he passed away um my senior year of undergrad um i remember i was uh, i was in my uh ecology class it was one of my senior i was major in environmental sciences and environmental engineering and i got um you know he was sick in the hospital but no indication that he was going to pass and i got a phone call you know when i was 22 three months before I was going to graduate from my mom. And she's like, you know, he's, he just passed. He's not here. And, um, I think not being able to be there, you know, with him, um, was, uh, there was a lot of guilt and shame around that for a long time in my life. And so that sent me down a quest of like, who am I, what am I doing? You know, do I really want to be in academia for the rest of my life? Do I, you know, at the time I was just getting done with playing college sports. So I was like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, um, how am I going to make money? How am I going to find purpose? Meaning give back. I really wanted to always find ways to help my species and all species just, just survive and thrive on this planet. Right. And, um, I think when he passed, I, I, uh, I decided I was going to move to Chile, uh, in Argentina and I sold my truck. I bought a one-way ticket and I packed a guitar, climbing gear, running gear, and, you know, <laughs> clothes and moved, just left after his funeral, basically. Um, and then, uh, and then I met <laughs> your dog back there. I my love dog when dogs said, "I want to go. In. I, I want to go yeah. to Argentina." <laughs> I, I love, I love when dogs. My dogs do that too. And I'll just be talking to a guest, and they'll just be, you know, barking at the mailman. I'm like, "This, <laughs> this is the beauty of podcasting from home." He's
0: not supposed to be able to be heard, but he's <laughs> 95 pounds.
1: It's all right. He's. A, I have the same same one. I have a 95 pound gentleman <laughs> upstairs too. Um. So yeah, I, I moved to Chile, and then you know I fell in love for the first time. Um, it was a very much falling in lust relationship. Uh, I've talked about this relationship on the podcast before. And, um, you know, when I was 23, that was another soul awakening because we went through a very traumatic breakup. Um, you know, I, I very much lost the sense of self. Uh, I, I, didn't know then, but I know now like extremely codependent in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, my sense of self-worth and meaning and purpose was tied into being in the relationship, which is interesting because I'd never been in a relationship before. That was my first real one all through college. I, didn't have a serious partner high school didn't have that experience either um had my fair share of fun but not a serious relationship right and uh after this woman, and i split i was like you know i was like there's some things i did wrong in this relationship i need to know where they're coming from how can i change it how can i be better um you know and from 23 to basically 27 28 i thought i was really working on stuff i was going to therapy on and off was pro running traveling around the world you know Um, not making a ton of money, but making enough to survive and live out of a van and, you know, have this, you know, very whimsical, you know, magical life for a 20 year old. And then I met my most recent partner. And um, I would say this is another soul awakening. I've never loved another human being on this planet uh, more than I've loved her. And I think because of that, um, it it ha- cracked me open even deeper in, in in the first half of our relationship i was in a really severe bicycle accident that kind of retired me from pro sports so i had a traumatic brain injury could barely walk um had to sort of relearn some motor skills and some neurological skills had all the sort of um, quintessential symptoms for a traumatic brain injury you know hearing eyesight balance emotion dysregulation you know i went from being an adult to a, a child in an instant essentially um uh, we split up, got back together. You know, we, we were trying to work on the relationship and, you know, both of us had our, our, shit we needed to work on. And, um, when she left again, when she exited the relationship in May of 2020, um, it's sort of, you know, with my pain and grief and shame from the, the mistakes I made and also my pride from the things I did give to the relationship, I really wanted to see, you know, I'm, I'm repeating the same things, you know, I haven't really you know, I've healed a bit, I've gotten better a bit, but I, I haven't really, I'm not at the place where I felt satisfied with who I was in a relationship. Right. Especially with who I was alone. You know, I think one of my friends, uh, my close friends, Matt, who, uh, who's just a close, you know, male friend to me asked me, maybe this was like a month after she had left. And he was like, Hey, you know, man, do you love yourself? And it's an interesting question, you know? Um, because at the time I was like, no, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've, maybe since after I was 10 years old, where I, I really have enjoyed, you know, myself and not, not to mean that I wasn't proud or I wasn't, you know, I respect what I've done in life. I've done a, done a lot of hardworking things and good things as a, as a human, but I didn't really love myself, you know, and I'm not talking about the narcissistic love. I just didn't really, there wasn't like a, a sense of self love, you know? And, um, you know, I think the amount of love I had for this person really put me on that journey to find what what it is inside myself that I need to be doing. Because I believe in in until we have a greater purpose to serve outside of ourselves, we're always going to be lonely. We're going to be putting this incredible weight of responsibility onto our partners, onto our friends, onto our family, because we're not being responsible for our own internal steadfastness, our own internal you know groundedness. And not to mean that we can't share that with a partner, but they can't be the sole responsible person for our happiness, right? Um, I put a lot of pressure on my relationship to do that for me. And, yeah, I mean, getting back into therapy, um, reading more, you know, writing more. Really, this was the first time where I actually took time to sit with my feelings and, and process them and not, not like, text someone or get on Instagram or scroll or, you know, go to therapy. immediately. I was like, I need to sit with what I'm feeling and really understand where it's coming from. Is it real? Is what I'm making up in my head, like, really what happened? Am I sort of giving, um, you know, am I being fair for, for what she experienced, what I experienced? I really wanted to practice as much empathy as I could put myself in her shoes, I really wanted to see, you know, what, where, excuse me, where did I, you know, practice good relational behaviors and where did I, you know, slip up a bit and, and not uh, have respect or trust or you know, these other integral things, right? And that's that was my sort of third or fourth <laughs> soul awakening, right? Um, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Um, and and I honestly have love to thank for that. It is, is, you know, woo as it sounds, um, you know, I would have never been doing this honestly if i didn't have um that incredible love that i shared with this woman and also losing the partnership as well too right it put me on this path i know a lot of people talk about hitting rock bottom you know the dark night of the soul type thing and um, i've gone through a couple of them you know i think being a scorpio we attract that kind of shit in our life um but you got to be able to walk through them you know it can really drown you out and you can become dark and um I sort of miraculously, via the support of other people and my own internal will, was able to you know, get here where I'm in such a good spot and uh, still have plenty of stuff to work on <laughs> for all yeah. of you listening out there. Um, the work's never done, but I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm currently doing it, which is a beautiful thing to realize.
0: Yeah. Gosh, that resonates so much going back to what you were saying in the beginning of that heartbreak just breaking you open. I too have gone through multiple dark nights of the soul and my most recent one is about, you know, uh, ending of a relationship and it's been such a gift. Mm. I didn't realize on the front end of it that it would end up being that way, but for a very long time I had an idea around being a very like hard person and Not having access to, you know, I come from the Latina culture, and a lot of that is very loving. Mm -hmm. And there was a part of me that just felt like I was disconnected from that part of myself. And Mm -hmm. this heartbreak has softened me in so many ways. Every day I feel like I'm a little bit more grateful for the experience because through that darkness, I was able to find more light within myself. And that goes back to the saying that I brought up when we were at the retreat around, you know, and yoga, we always say the light in me honors the light in you, but the darkness in me honors the darkness in you as well, because it's just a beautiful um, portal. You know, our darkness is a portal to like more of our light, more of um, what we're here to do. And it sounds very much like, you know, that dark time for you. I mean, not to mention heartbreak, but also Mm. you mentioned having a traumatic brain injury and having to, you know, relearn motor skills that had to be so impactful. And honestly, like seeing you today and having seen you in person, it's miraculous to know that you went through that and you are, you know, a high functioning individual from what I can tell. So, so much gratitude for your healing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, high functioning might be subjective, but I appreciate that. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I do feel blessed. You know, with the people that were around me when I was healing. Um, you know, for a part of that, I was really alone, and I had some friends reach out. Um, once my partner at the time had kind of left, exited the relationship at that point. Um, and you know, I I really owe it to the support system that I had to you know take me to the appointments, you know, <laughs> MRI scans, all that other stuff, because if it wasn't for them, I don't know if I'd still be here point where I was you know, very much like I did not want to exist anymore because I'd lost my ability to be an athlete. I'd lost my income. You know, my partner and I at the time were building out of a big, beautiful van to live out of like a really legit designed van. And um, we were kind of halfway through and it, you know, my whole life kind of turned upside down there. Um, but as you brought up, you know, now I have this immense um, sort of weight of gratefulness you know i had to get surgery on my dominant right arm i still have nerve issues with it but even with all the stuff like the trauma from that um god there was so much learning and i know it's it's hard for people to hear that when they're in it because i did not want to hear that when i was experiencing it right Um, but trust me when i say this no matter what you go through you will be grateful for it after you know Um, whether it's heartbreak whether it's some form of like trauma um, because that really helps us morph into more (sighs) compassionate empathic individuals and i'm not saying that like you should go seek (laughs) trauma Mm -hmm. but naturally it will probably occur in your life because we are fallible um, human beings right we're not perfect we're imperfect and there's a sense of beauty in that now i don't think that our imperfection should um, you know make us be complacent or apathetic be like "Oh, i'm imperfect i'm just going to hurt people and you know fuck up that's really not what this idea is meant to produce instead it's meant for you to sort of exist on this balance of i'm working on myself i want to be better but i'm also appreciative of where i am and where i've been and you can be present and still work on yourself at the same time we kind of spoke about this um last night a bit when we were talking about the show right and that's something i really try to hammer home within myself and within all the clients i work for is that um progress is never uh linear in the way where like you're continuously progressing, like progress is like up and down all the time. Sometimes you go back a little bit, sometimes you go forward, but the trajectory you're walking is the same, you know? Um, so you have to have a sense of compassion and empathy for yourself, uh, built through self love and resiliency because you're going to slip up, right? We're all going to make mistakes. But if we become more emotionally resilient, um, if we mm-hmm. come, if we become more aware of our shadow selves, we can give that knowledge and wisdom uh, to ourselves internally because we know ourselves better, but also in a partnership. You know, like, hey, I'm I'm triggered when this happens, or you know, this is why I do this when you do this thing because of my childhood or because you know, and and we obviously have to show up for ourselves and work on those things. But I think it's a it's an extreme gift to be able to communicate that with someone you love, yeah, because it's a really sort of indicator, a big indicator of emotional intelligence, and um, that is something popular culture conflates with intellectual intelligence. Which they couldn't be further from the from the thing right like you could be highly intellectual intelligent intellectually intelligent um you know financially successful own your own company you know be phenomenally good looking all this stuff and have the emotional intelligence the emotional resilience of a four-year-old right and i think that often is the case in society and we wonder why our relationships aren't working out why divorce rates are high are super high divorce rates and um you know why sort of the nuclear family You know is just not really working out anymore we're like why aren't we like the 1950s well 1950s they weren't really aware of this you know we're we're evolving right our brains our needs our emotions are evolving so our relationships also need to be evolving and they can only evolve if the individual evolves
0: similarly to you i've discovered self-love just recently you know and i would Mm -hmm. say in the last year i've i've started to understand what loving myself looks like and growing up in a family that wasn't modeled boundaries you know what we're taught in a lot of our families is to love by not having boundaries. Like when you are willing to give up parts of yourself and all those things, that means, that means you're good. That means you're unselfish. And it was just recently that I realized like, oh, just like you, no, I, I don't love myself. And that meant that I probably didn't respect myself. I didn't have self-compassion. And I thought it was hilarious because, you know, everybody's always saying that cliche quip of you can't love others till you love yourself. and We hear that all the time, but it's not till me sitting here at 36 years old. I was like, oh my gosh, the love that I'm giving my partners, the love that I'm giving my son, my family is limited to the capacity of which I'm willing to love myself. When I looked at how I had been treating myself, that gave me a lot of shame. And so it was only through like asking universe, asking God for mm. the ability to help me to be able to work through that shame that allowed me to be able to actually make a difference there. Because one thing that happens with us is that in order to make change, we have to face ourselves. And sometimes it's just too scary. If, ha- if we don't have the emotional resilience to look at ourselves and have that acceptance for where we are, it makes it really hard to even start the work. And I know that you always dropping this awesome wisdom online. So I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you like, what does it look like to one, start building that resiliency to face your own shame? And what did it look like for you when you started to realize that you loved yourself? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So first of all, to start, you have to be willing to admit you, you are wrong, right? That, that's one of the sort of first ingredients to building self-awareness is that you have to be willing to admit that you might not and probably do not know everything. Right. And that's very hard in Western culture because, um, we are sort of raised and taught to be perfectionist in a way. Right. And perfectionism need not be confused with like being progress oriented. You know, um, I think, uh, there's this wonderful speech on the internet. I can't remember who gave it, but, um, this gentleman was saying, um, you know, like Perfection is ridiculous. You're never going to be there. Throw it out of your mind. You need to be focused on progress, right? Making progress, growing, um, and growth isn't some you know finite term. You never stop. You know you're kind of always doing this until you leave this body, until you leave this sort of experience you're in. Um, so that was the first thing, really being honest with myself about like I think I'm wrong in a lot of these situations, you know, and, and I need to understand what healthy looks like. In myself, in a relationship, you know, um, and that also involved looking at my childhood and um, being able to hold my parenting figures, my my two grandparents, my mother, that's who raised me, um, under a lens that was compassionate and super appreciative for all they sacrificed and gave me, but also realistic. You know, there were some things that were done that were really unhealthy, things, behaviors that were modeled that weren't weren't good, right, that, that I saw I was repeating in my interpersonal relationships as an adult man right and so that was the second part is really looking at that and um from there where did where did I start loving myself well it was about practicing the things that I knew was going to make me proud uh not only when the camera was on but when the camera was off you know because a lot of times there's a lot of influencers and mental health professionals um That, you know, sort of put on this persona and not all of them, there's a ton of genuine people doing this too, but there's, there's some persona, you know, showmanship going on in the internet. And, um, I think for me, uh, the reason that I really was able to sort of, uh, start practicing self-love was that I was aligning what I was doing, um, outside of like my persona on the internet it's you know who i am on social media is the same as who i am with every single person mm. you know um, i don't treat like a famous person any different than you know someone i meet on the street who I have a conversation with um i've sort of i explain it this way um you know often the issues that we face as individuals are a direct reflection of the gap between our surface self and our deep self right so your deep self is also known as your soul or, you know, however you want to call it, right? It's your deepest self. It's your consciousness, right? Your surface self is your ego. You need both to survive. The ego is integral to being human, right? Um, Oftentimes we get a lot of that motivation, that drive from the ego, you know? Um, Of course it can be used Mm -hmm. to control your, you and you can be sort of um you know infatuated with the materialisms of society you know and, and that kind of stuff but i think when you start to bring those two closer and there's that space between surface self and deep self when you start to align your deep self with your surface self and that space between starts to be minimized then you become aligned with your purpose you become aligned with your existence and that way you can start to love yourself because you know yourself right you know your surface self and your deep self have met have sort of shaken hands if you will it's like your shadow meeting your 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 you know other side and um that's really powerful and uh, i would hope that everyone you know would want to get there i don't think everyone does you know i think some people go through life and they never really ask those deeper questions and that's okay that's that's their you know their path but i think for the people that are probably listening to this podcast many of them tune into stuff like this because they do have deeper questions they are willing to sort of you know say like yeah i've been wrong you know i think we live in a culture where we really perpetuate the victimhood mindset you know point our fingers at everything else Oh so my, am like woe well, is me you know all these things happen to me um and although i think it is uh right to honor and um, reflect on the things that have been done to you that were wrong um the trauma you've experienced after you've reflected on it to sort of focus or ruminate on it it's not going to get you anywhere you're gonna be a victim your entire life and you're never gonna change, right? So at some point um, the empowerment is in the release of the victim mindset and the return of the I am an individual with all the power inside me to make the choices Mm -hmm. to align my life in a way that is going to feed my soul and not just my ego, right? And once we can get there, that's where self-love starts to come. We don't have to look for self-love, it's gonna be there already because we're aligned both of ourselves our deep self and our service self are aligned and so our full whole self which is what a lot of people talk about now you know is we know it we know he or she you know or they because it's you know aligned and i think that's kind of how you get there now how do you get there it differs for every person depending on our subjective experiences and what we've been through but um, i guarantee everyone listening that you can absolutely get there um doesn't matter what you're struggling through depression anxiety self-loathing you can absolutely get there
0: yeah you know that really aligns with um I'm, i'm into the wisdom of the tarot and yesterday i pulled the three of wands and it it very much is speaking to what you were saying about that alignment um and how i see that happening is you know They talk about having the mind, the body, and the soul on that same path. And I think in our society, so many people are are struggling with anxiety and depression. And specifically with anxiety, I have found that when I am experiencing anxiety, what I can usually do is try to find like what it is that first is giving me the anxiety. And then usually what I end up Mm -hmm. finding is that it's because I'm out of alignment. It's something I'm acting on with my body, the way that I'm talking, the way that I'm moving in life is not in alignment with my soul. And so I found it so much easier now to deal with anxiety because I can quickly drop in and be like, okay, well, when did this start? What happened before? What happened after? Where am I and what was I doing? And what about that isn't in alignment? These emotions that we're having are actually our body's way of talking to us. It's our intuition working through our our body. And giving us this reaction and it's also helped me Mm. to view my anxiety so much differently because before it was this like scary thing that i had to run from that you know that almost produces more anxiety of like i'm feeling anxious and now i'm feeling anxious about feeling anxious and now it's like oh my body's talking to me my soul is talking to me there's an alignment that needs to happen and i hope that's helpful for anybody listening because It has been a game changer for me in being able to move out of those energy states much easier. I used to take anxiety medication um, because I mm-hmm. didn't have ways to cope. I had been through therapy and talk therapy hadn't helped me. And now that the research shows that talk therapy doesn't necessarily provide that right container unless there's all this other yeah. stuff around it that's been built there beforehand through meditation and being able to drop in in that way and realize yeah. that it starts with ourselves. is so empowering and stops mm-hmm. us from giving our power away to everybody else. Um so yeah, no, I, I totally resonate with that breakdown.
1: Yeah, your, your environment, you just spoke to how, how important your environment is, right? You can go to therapy for 10, 20 years, but if the situation or the environment that is perpetuating your trauma, your anxiety, your depression has not changing, you know, you can change yourself all you want, but sometimes that empowerment is like changing your environment too. You know, A lot of times, it's not, not all the time, sometimes we use that to run, right? But I think, you know, the best sort of therapist or life relationship coaches are able to help people sort of realize their own truths. And this brings up a thing that I would love to discuss, which is like a lot of times people think their trauma is their truth, meaning that whatever they've experienced in life, trauma, abuse, whatever, is who they are. And I'm here to tell you, everybody, it's not. It's a piece of your story for sure. But if you only think your trauma is your truth, you're going to be living in trauma for your whole life. And that sounds like a really shit deal to me, right? And so being able to separate and look at your trauma with a, you know, with not ro- not rose colored glasses on, but but seeing it for what it is, you know, uh, whether it was a person or a group of people or or how you experienced it, whatever trauma it is, right. And understand like the person that, you know, like the person that was a result of that, or sorry, caused that, or the community that caused that, um, they had their own trauma, right. And it's not to sort of just let them off the hook, but it's to See it with compassion. And um, I would argue even a little bit of gratefulness because it is who you are. You you can feel, you can see these things because of what you've been through. Now let's change it. Let's utilize it so you can help others in the way you've been helped. You know, let's start providing like services to others. And I think that is your truth. Your truth is like your true calling of like, we are a social community-based organism. You know, if you are living in a silo and severely anxious and depressed, it is probably because you're not around great community. You know, and COVID has, has brought up a very interesting phenomena. is that we, we're so connected with our you know, technology, with social media, with dating apps, but we're so disconnected, right? People are, are talking about they're more lonely than ever. I mean, you're getting like loneliness and depression and suicidal ideation in ages as early as eight and nine now, which it traditionally used to be 13 to 15, you know, so it's the window's even opening more. And I think that's because we have TikTok, we have Snapchat, we have all these things, but we're so disconnected still. you know. And um, I think part of aligning with your truth outside of your trauma is finding a a community that isn't just an echo chamber. They're not just going to tell you you're awesome, but they're also going to call you out on things too. And those are the people you should be walking towards, the people that are real and true and not just living in toxic positivity or toxic negativity, but can walk the line of both. And again, that's just indicative of the surface self aligning with the deep self.
0: It's so interesting that you brought that up. I wrote down a quote from something you posted recently which is basically what you were just saying you posted, your trauma is part of your story, but not the full story. Therefore, your truths are not your trauma. Acting out of your truth is not the same thing as acting out of your trauma. Spend time to understand the difference. Mm-hmm. Now, I heard you talking about community and how if you have the right community, who isn't going to just be that echo chamber, who isn't going to say, you know, maybe co-sign on your victim story. Right. And sometimes we are victims, but that doesn't mean we have to be victimized or necessarily give all the power away, especially mm-hmm. in the case of childhood trauma. You know, when we're children, we don't have control over our environment. And that's where we end up actually, I think, creating a lot of our um, inner child wounds through the experience with our families that we're born into. And that ends up being our shadow. I think I have an idea around what you're talking about with understanding your truth versus your trauma. But if you can shed any more light, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, totally. So I think um, one thing that uh, you know, fr- first and foremost, every single human being alive has been a victim at some point in their life to something. Every human being alive has been an oppressor or an antagonist at some point in their life. Right. So I think if we walk around with this, like, holy God complex that we have only been a victim and we've never hurt anyone, we need to look a little deeper. Cause I guarantee mm. you something you've done has hurt somebody right in some way. And obviously there's, there's a gradient to this, you know, um, but I think, you know, what I hear from the victim mindset a lot is like, people are like, well, you're not recognizing that, you know, trauma has been done to me. And that's not the point I'm making here. We absolutely should recognize and realize and be able to share when um, we've been uh, victims of, of trauma or abuse or neglect or anything like that, right? The difference is when we attach to it. If we attach to it and it becomes our entire story, you know, if I'm a, a survivor of this or this and that, then like we, we really never move past it, you know? And so I think that your trauma is part of your truth it's part of your entire story but it isn't your entire story meaning that you have the chance to write today a different chapter right if you keep writing the same words you're going to be the same person you know so if your entry story everything is like you know your your victimhood your trauma chances are 20 years from the trauma you're still going to be not fully processed right still going to be integrating it's going to proliferate in some unconscious way in your relationships with yourself and the only real way to heal Like, I mean, legitimately heal. Um, You know, you can do all the plant medicine you want. You can take all the the ice baths. It's that you have to move through your trauma, right? And you can use these different tools to help you. But really, those tools are about helping you see it. You still have to process it, right? Right. I mean, you are not going to take ayahuasca or psilocybin or sit in an ice bath for fifty minutes or whatever, and just get out of it and be like, "All right, I am healed." You know, let's dust off. I am going to go on with my life, and I am good to go. That um, doesn't work like that. You know, it still takes processing. It takes the process of integration. You know, integrating your shadow and your trauma with your higher mm. self, and and sort of mixing them together. You know, because uh, as you brought up earlier like your shadow is a part of you. You know, if you, if you're going to be unconscious or ignore it and some people, instead of victimizing themselves, they just, they just ignore their trauma altogether. They're like, Oh, I had a great life, great childhood. Nothing bad happened to me. Okay. That's probably not the case. Right. Um, and that is another side of the opposite of a victimhood mentality. It's like the sort of mentality of the warrior. And I'm not talking about the healthy warrior. I'm talking about the one that just like everything's okay. I am just have this goal ahead of me and I'm very type A. I'm just Mm -hmm. going after that and whatever happened, happened. It's in the past. And that's also avoidance, right? Um, And I think that both of those sort of, you know, if we look at an anxious or avoidant kind of thing in this dynamic, both of those need to align in the way we become secure. And security is never linear again. A secure individual always has moments throughout days and weeks and months of insecurity. Um, But to align again yourself with being, you know, hey, What I experienced is not fully me. Avoiding it is also not going to allow me to integrate it. So how do I do this? I need to understand what happened. You know, look into it. I understand for a lot of people that experience deep abuse, that's very difficult. But this is why working with a professional really helps, right? Because they can help you sort of reintegrate this into your life. EMDR is incredible. Uh, incredible practice for people with with severe sort of trauma in that way. Uh, you know, I just had an episode launch on Monday about the use of psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapy um, with a representative from MAPS, and that was an incredible conversation. There's all these different mm-hmm. modalities outside of just taking an antipsychotic or an antidepressant or anti anxiety med um, that have their place, no doubt, when people are in crisis, but it's just a band aid for the actual issue, right? And if you want to actually change your life, you have to start. As deep as you can go inside, that's where it's that's where the work is, yeah. right? Because you can change your environment, you can move, you can change your friends, and you still have that trauma if you if it's not integrated, it's the shit's still gonna bubble up, still gonna arise, you know. Yeah. And we really have to be honest about where it's coming from, and uh, that honesty starts with self accountability and radical self responsibility. That as an adult, no matter what happened to you as a child or adolescent when it was out of your control, now who you are and how you operate in the world and alone is in your control yeah
0: in some ways i think a lot of people think of this as like this new age way to approach trauma um yeah and our health system today is very good at producing pharmaceuticals that really do help people in the short term with symptoms. But what you're talking yep. about is actually this holistic approach to address the core issue. And so yep. what I love about it is it's going to help as more people, you know, awaken to these options and ways to approach trauma. It can move us from relying on medication that is one, very expensive and two usually you end up on a pill for the pill for the pill because the one pill that you have gives you a side effect that then you need another pill to fix and mm-hmm. all of a sudden your your medicine cabinet is overflowing with little orange bottles and you right. feel like your power is in those bottles the only way you can cope yep. is to have that and so i think it's a great a great alternative and for everybody listening i'm not i'm not advocating to like stop taking all of your medicine you can incorporate medicine that you're on today with this sort of therapy, with the sort of mm-hmm. approach to your trauma, and then you can move through and see what you need as you go along, as you heal. You might find that you aren't as reliant or needing the same things because you're able to um, develop coping techniques through the type of stuff that Nico's talking about. Um, and I encourage everybody, if you guys want to learn more about alternative ways for you to approach trauma and just awesome skills to help walk through life, check out his podcast, Star of the Ego, Feed the Soul. I've been checking it out over the last few weeks and have already learned a bunch of things. So I'm appreciative of the healing and the insight that people are getting from your work. Listening to what you were talking about in that vein made me want to ask you about, you know, you're saying like some people think that they don't have any trauma. Um, And the truth is, in my opinion, we're here in life to learn and trauma is a great teacher. Um, Kind of taking a a different turn on the conversation. We talked a lot about the patriarchy and the effect of patriarchy on women in the retreat that we had. And at one point you kind of interjected and we're talking about you know, the effects basically that this can have on men. And I would really love it if you could share a little bit about your view on how it was to grow up as a boy and now living as a man in a patriarchal society and some of the effects that that you think might have on men, but speaking from your experience, how it affected you.
1: Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a super broad question, right? I think first and foremost, like, um, you know, to acknowledge that we do live in a patriarchal society. But also acknowledge that we don't know if a matriarchal society would essentially be any healthier, right? And I think in my mind, I've always been a humanist before being a feminist. And I think that as humans, we both, we both genders, all polarities have a ton of work to do, right? Um, I think our modern sort of feminist movement can get stuck in this sort of scapegoat mentality uh, and sort of blame everything on the the masculine, right? And that is not the the actual case of society. Like the um uh, the patriarchal society we live in has shadow parts of the feminine and the masculine. And we're we're, again we're not talking about genders, we're talking about polarities, energies here. And they have incredible parts of the feminine and the masculine. Now in my mind, I think you know the a healthy society would be able to balance those two and where, you know, people can integrate their trauma and not act in this like shadow masculine way you know there's a lot of healthy things about the masculine there's a lot of healthy things about the feminine um there's unhealthy parts of both too and i think our patriarchal society um over years has sort of perpetuated um this kind of brash ignorance in a way you know uh, from both sides honestly um you know there's there's so many you know it's interesting when i was in grad school um Everyone in the first grad program I ever went to was, well, it was a very liberal arts sort of mindset grad school. Um, There's a lot more women in the program than men, and everyone considered themselves a feminist, including myself. And um, as I read more, um, I started to disalign with some of the properties around modern feminism. There's a lot that I do agree with, um, but I ultimately didn't think it was the way forward for our culture to heal. Um, I, I honestly took the approach of, you know, every man comes out of a woman and that we need to heal collectively. And um, I think that, you know, and, and again, I'll, I'll get flack for this because I think a lot of people will respond to their own shadow be like, well, you know, you don't support women if you're not a feminist. That's really not the case. Uh, I've been probably marching than most females I I know been out, uh, you know, protesting for um, everything you could imagine that I think uh, is going to improve uh, humanity. You know, I'm not just talking about the internet. I'm, I'm out there. And I think for me, as a man, seeing the healthy parts of the masculine and the feminine growing up and now as an adult, um, we have a lot of work to do as human mm-hmm. beings, right? Not just as men, not just as women. Um, we need to start looking deeper inside. And I think the way we change society is actually quite simple. We start to change ourselves. We start with ourselves. If you're going around thinking you're going to change the broad spectrum of society, probably not going to happen in your lifetime but if you can change yourself you can work on integrating your shadow and being a better person those little ripples will go outwards and you start to affect the people around you your family your community your friends and then they start to change and then boom we get this like ripple Mm. effect It's this this, like quantum physics effect right Um, and I think that that's how we truly start change right it's the little conversations I mean um, you know someone brought up at at the retreat uh, you know uh, someone, you know, for instance, like a, a politician, for instance, that's very much against like gay rights mm-hmm. or abortion, these things. And, you know, people are like, well, how do you, how do you communicate with someone like that? And it's like, well, you might not be able to, you know, you can certainly have compassion, try to understand their point, but the people really where, where the, the change comes from. So the people on the fringe, the ones that like, you know, are, are understand like, why, why should I, why do I think I ever have like the sort of um, like ego ability to interject on who some, who sh- someone should love or what someone should do with their body. You know what I mean? And, and those things, you know, I mean, the, excuse me, those people, when you can start to have those conversations, that's that's when you start to open up, you know, these gates of like, all right, like we're, we're growing as individuals. And I do see that happening. You know, I think that times like this, like this pandemic, you know, the incredible housing crisis we're in, these are all proponents and indicators of a sort of deep dark night of the soul for humanity. And we've gone through these collectively uh, as humans first existed you look at egypt you look at rome you look at greece you look at mesopotamia you know there's always been like famine and um you know th- like plague and things that have sort of mm-hmm. made people sort of realize and, and realize their mortality again you know and and understand that like life isn't guaranteed like the gift of life as you brought up is the ability to learn and grow to be dead you can't grow Mm -hmm. right i mean even if your soul still exists let's say like we believe in like the afterlife and we believe in soul contracts and and previous lives too in that limbo of of not being embodied in something physical where you can experience like you're not growing right and so your ability to be alive is a gift for you to grow and be better and help others too right and i think um, one of the issues with patriarchy in our current society is this hyper individualism you know we've lost uh the idea of the best for the collective, meaning we watch out for our communities as a whole, not just who our, what our skin color is, what language we speak. It's like, yo, we are all human beings on earth. You know, these borders and walls we've built, this fabrication of reality, you know, we put those up because of our own internal shadow, right? We need to be safe. Safe means I have a wall between mm-hmm. me and them, right? There is no me and them. That's us. That's just about it, right? Um, we are here together, and it, you know, some people are going to say, "Oh, this guy sounds like you know, spreading this bullshit." And it's like it's not. If you really think about it, like every living organism on this planet, like we are integrated with each other in some way. You know, uh, people forget, um, or maybe they haven't even been educated. Like the trees breathe for us; we breathe for the trees. We have this symbiotic mm-hmm. microhorizal relationship where carbon dioxide and oxygen sort of meshes together. In plant matter and then we're able to breathe right they produce oxygen they absorb carbon dioxide you know and i'm getting scientific here but this all relates to this idea of like if we break things down to like their fundamental level like we need community we need to be in service of others that gives the human a greater purpose that gives a human um sort of a, a soul connection to spirit and you know, and I brought this up in the retreat. Like, um, you know, I was agnostic and atheist for ten years after um, undergrad. You know, very much sort of counterculture, like against organized religion, because I had been raised Catholic. And now in my thirties, I've refound my own spirituality, reconnected with it, and realized that it's actually so essential for humans to have some sort of connection to a greater purpose. Because if you take the mindset of like I am my own god, and sort of hear me roar, it's a very lonely lonely spot at the top of that mountain, you know, and what that person is um, devoid of is connection to spirit. And so each of us are souls, right? Each of us are souls, every living thing. And then you look up and there's this sort of streamline that runs through every living organism, specifically within conscious sentient beings, right? And that is spirit, And you can define it as god you can define it as gaia you can define it as earth whatever you want to call it you know it exists because when you fall in love with someone you light up right and that is spirit warming you up because congratulations you get to share it with another person right you would never have that feeling. And you can have it You can have it with a dog, you could have it with a, any, anything. You know, It doesn't have to just be another human. It's greater usually with another human because of the consciousness and the ability to communicate. But man, I'll tell you, my dogs light me up every day just based on the stuff they do. You know, um, And developing a sense of appreciation and gratefulness for your ability to, to connect with spirit and be called to a greater service of, of people. You don't have to have a religion for that. You can, there's nothing wrong with it, right? As long as it makes you a better person and as long, my whole thing with religion or any sort of dog, dogmatic practice is, is it helping you connect with human beings different than you? Or is it preventing you from doing that? If it's building walls, probably not the religion for you. If it's building bridges, I'd say stay with it, you know, and you have to be honest with what it's what it's doing. Because, you know, my, my biggest gripe with uh, Christianity when I was growing up in Catholicism was that it was separating me from Islam from Judaism from um all these other sort of religious texts from atheists from agnostics you know mm. and I'm like that's not what I want I want to understand people I want to connect with people like these these are my brothers and sisters on this planet regardless if I disagree with them regardless if they're hate for this and that like we have to find a way to be better together or we fail together mm. that's it right um, and so with patriarchy, you know, there's, there's, we could get into this for hours. There's so many issues of patriarchy, but I think it's not going to truly change until masculine and feminine both own their shit.
0: Right. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, basically alluding to the, um, idea that we're all one, you know, that we're all here and that we're all human and we need to be together, whether we're talking about patriarchy, matriarchy, feminism, Of course, for me, being somebody who grew up um, Black, Hispanic, and Jewish, and feeling othered a lot, that really spoke to me. Growing up in a family that had two different um, ethnic backgrounds, two different cultures, the thing that I really saw was it's not race that was the separator. It was beliefs. People are holding on so tightly to their beliefs that it makes them fragile. Because Mm -hmm. if somebody then attacks something that you believe in, you are attaching your self-worth to it. Connection across differences, I think, is one of the most powerful places for change. Yep.
1: No, I, uh, most definitely. And it, uh, your when you brought up sort of your your multicultural sort of upbringing and and you know everything you raised around, I remember a conversation my mom had with me. I think I was five, four or five years old, and um, my dad was never in my in my life. I grew up with my Chicano Hispanic family in the West Side Barrios in Tucson, Arizona, and I remember my mom. Um, this is right when I started to get really into sports right i was like always going to be an athlete it was just raised hitting a ball or doing something right and um she sat me down she's like you know mijo i want to ask you like a serious question i was like okay you know it's out of the blue she's like you know um i just want to let you know that if you keep your last name barasa which is the last name of my grandfather she's like you know you don't know this now but you will probably most likely be treated differently at some point in your life you know um whether in school or in sports um you know, and you might face more adversity and more, you know, X, Y, and Z than if, you know, you take your father's last name, which my dad is Irish and his last name is McCarthy. And, um, I, I understood, you know, being as young as I was, what she was getting to. Um, but to me, uh, you know, my family are very, are very proud and prideful people. And there was absolutely no way I was going to, um, take the stage or hit a ball or step on a court without the last name that raised me on my back, you know, um, and so I was like, there's never change in my name, you know, like I am a Barasa. that's who I am, you know. And I think that her feeling the need to bring that up, you know, in the sort of um, late 80s or early 90s to me was uh, indicative of, of the culture even then, right? Being so anti-minority, you know, it's like if you grew up being, you know, Mexican-American you know, not everyone, but a lot of families, they wouldn't even teach their kids Spanish because you need know, to speak English in this country. It's, a, it's the American language, you know, um, which I think is a travesty, because as a culture, if we're just speaking country wise, like the U.S., you know, the United States of America is a congregation of minorities, of immigrants, besides the native indigenous tribes that we need to start recognizing that we're here before set, uh, settlers and colonization happen. Um we are all immigrants, you know, the people that came here after the native tribes. And even to respect, like native tribes, you know, migrated up here from the south and down from the north, you know. And um, I think if we if we start to understand that, like one of the most beautiful teachings from any indigenous culture is inter- interconnectivity. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the Navajo, Hopi, um, Tohono otom uh, Apache, Yaki traditions all these i'm talking about southwest tribes because i don't know enough about other tribes around the u.s but they all sort of adhere to similar principles of our interconnectedness with each other our brothers and sisters in the human form our brothers and sisters in other animal forms um you know the navajo specifically you know they talk about um you know mother earth and father sky being this sort of polarity of the masculine and the feminine you know which i think is such a beautiful um just picture to realize in your head you know there's like there's there's these these sort of um, alliterations are are giving mm-hmm. all the time to us air to breathe you know pollinating uh, you know the plants like it's just this is beautiful system we live in um, and when we lose touch of that which we have been doing since industrialization you know we've been losing touch of ourselves so how do we get that back we have to go inward you know we have to see like what we truly need to sustain and um, I'm a firm believer of that you know if we turn our cheek or, or, or turn away from the people that, you know, might be a little bit less down the path of self-alignment or self-realization, we're, we're not any better, you know? Um, Yeah. Like there needs to be no one left behind in this quest. And that doesn't mean everyone's going to sort of drink this, you know, drink that I'm, that I'm passing out here, but I think to understand and have compassion with, Like you brought up, like we were all raised in certain things. So someone who is raised in a racist setting, that's all they know. That is their normal. So they might be unconscious to even being racist. That's just their normal. You know, Um, does that mean the behavior should be accepted? No, of course not. But to understand it is to seek to understand their childhood and their trauma. And that's how we connect, you know, and they obviously have to do that work, too. And want to be open to the conversation some people aren't right but that's really why going inward is the start to all of this it's like looking deep inside yourself
0: yeah and that's not to say that we should be exposing ourselves to people who are going to be harmful to us by any means for me i have friends that are truly unlikely friends who have political leaning backgrounds and certain beliefs that when we met made me you know Made me feel like there should be a wall between us because, oh, they believe this and I believe that. I have, you know, two specific friends that if you had told me when we met that we were going to end up being lifelong friends, I would have laughed in your face. Those friendships have been my teachers because getting past our differences allowed me to see that people who don't believe the same things as me, they They have something to teach me, and I have something to teach them as well. And we can broaden each other's minds through just relating, not through arguing about that thing, but through relating. It's interesting how then you find yourself in conversation about those Mm -hmm. things eventually. And one rule that I have for myself is I'm not going to expose myself to people that I have to change who I am in order to stay friends with them. I think if we are able to be around people who think differently than us, but still stay in our authenticity and have those tough conversations, but with love and with patience and with the ability Mm. to maybe step away and walk back when you guys are ready then that's that's going to be something that's going to speed up the change of the culture that we're in today. And I do think that the youth today, you know, the new generation out here, mm-hmm. they're way ahead of us. And we can look at young people and think, oh, they're so young, they don't know anything. But I don't really believe um, mm-hmm. that's how wisdom works. I think some people are born into this world um, with more wisdom than people yeah. who've been here a long time. And we all have something to teach each other.
1: Yeah. And I think you brought up a A really good point where you know you can still be steeped in your authentic self and be around people that you disagree with i would go even further to be um to sort of say that like a a full self also realizes that the self could be wrong that the other person might have a point and that's how we connect you know And, and it could be someone you vehemently disagree with and um you know, again, you brought up a point. Where if someone doesn't want to hear any other side of the story, probably not a person you're going to connect with, right? If you're looking for openness, but there are people that do, you know, and we should be those people. We should lead by example, right? Um, if we approach every situation with this like progressive, hyper liberal mentality, if we're talking to someone that's very conservative in their values and we, you know, think we're on some higher road and hierarchy, you know, obviously we're talking down to someone. That's not how you connect. You talk with someone, you talk within yourself with someone, right? That's how you connect. Talk down to someone? No, it's not going to work out. You've been are you being talked down to? Also not going to work out, right? Is there an inferiority superiority complex? That's the ego pushing in. You know, that's your trauma speaking for you, not your truth, right? The tr- truth of the yeah. human being. Oh, that goes right. back. Yeah, yeah. The truth of the the truth of a conscious human being is that they can admit that they might be wrong. That that they they can admit that they are still a student while being a teacher, right? Um. People ask me like the number one indicator of health and relationships. And by far it's this, can both people contributing and participating in the relationship, play the role of the student and the teacher in times where both need to be played. If one person is putting way too much in a relationship, they're the teacher all the time. The other person is just the student. It's not going to work out. Resentment, resentment is going to be built, built, right? Um, If the inverse is true, you know, if, if someone's just kind of skating, if you're just skating through and the other person's just doing all this for you, probably not going to work out you know um doesn't have to be equal all the time that's you know not again perfection doesn't exist but there has to be a seesaw we have to ride that wave together in a relationship and until we can ride that wave within ourselves you're not going to be able to surf with someone else right it's way harder when you put two people on one board um so it's uh you know just again this is an alliteration or sort of a uh, um you know just a uh a way to sort of, I'm a very visual person. So if you think about it, you know, you're both on your own board surfing your waves and life is great. And you're like, okay, well, we're going to hop on this one in the middle and meet each other. And and that idea is like, holy shit, you got to learn how to balance in a, a container with another person who has different rhythm, different background, you know, uh, different sex drive, all these different things, you know, you have to find a way to balance that. And that's the beauty of a relationship. It can be the ultimate teacher for us if we truly open, right? And again, your partner has to truly open too. So if you're with someone that's not fully, stepping in, if they have one foot in, one foot out, relationship's not going to work, right? Container cannot hold half-assness, meaning that, like, you're either fully in, and you're holding each other, or you're not in at all, you know? There's just, with that, it's just kind of black or white in that sense, and um, I think that, you know, for, for people that really are, are, are looking at having a healthy relationship, which I think all of us are, it starts within yourself, you know? You have to get to know yourself on a deep level, and be able to give that to someone else, and then jump on the board together and, you know, hopefully put what you learn into practice and be a student and a teacher at the same time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that balance is so important because of um, what you said around like being the teacher too long and being the student too long, you know, then you kind of become that parent and there's nothing less sexy than being in a relationship with somebody that you see as your child or as your parent it's a great way to lose the spark. It's a great
1: way to not want to sleep with each other too um, you know <laughs> yeah. and people often they speak to that you know even in couples therapy they'll be like well you know after a year or two we just stop having sex and you know and then we stop communicating about these things and sort of just went through the motions and, and think about we do that in work too you know we do that as parents and um, if you want to get better you have to be conscious and practice keeping intimacy alive. And it just, just because you love each other, it doesn't mean it's going to work out. That's love is not enough for a relationship, right? You have to put in all these other pieces of effort, you know, to meet someone, understanding, communication, sexual intimacy, um, you know, giving each other space to be a full self and not be meshed or codependent on the relationship and also not be extremely avoidant. You know, you have to be able to ride that wave together. It's this balance. It's this beautiful balance. And that balance alone teaches us centeredness and groundedness, you know, and man, the, the health relationships that I see, they, they embody that, you know, it's not that they don't get in fights, not that they don't slip up, but they're able to repair, come back, still have respect, still have truth and trust together and be their own autonomous individuals. And man, when, when I see those relationships in, in real time, I'm like, this is, this is beautiful. You know, this is, these are incredibly powerful um, like incredibly powerful templates i guess if you will for us to look at and be like that's what a healthy relationship looks like you know
0: yeah and you know that's that's really important because the truth of the matter is there's like what i don't know if this is the right statistic but i think around 70 percent of people who are who are not securely attached meaning that they are on some level anxious or avoidant or there's a large spectrum it's not just those two that are on there but for a while it kind of was put out there that basically, like, if you're in an anxious anxious, avoidant relationship, it's Mm -hmm. doomed. But 70% of people are are most likely not doomed. If you're willing to be able to own that, if you're willing to be able to understand how that makes you show up. In some relationships, I've shown up as anxious and others I've shown up as avoidant. Um, Because it depends on the energy Mm -hmm. of my partner and what that brings out. But only in the last couple of years have I become aware of like my abandonment wound my low self-worth and being able to work on those things and it was through actually being in partnership that i was able to start mm-hmm. healing those things because once we once we notice it we can then instead of chasing our partner around for an anxious for instance we can say oh I'm looking for them to fill my cup and it's actually something I need to give yes. myself. Communicate that and say, hey, I need to go take time for this. Or if you're avoidant, being able to say, like, I'm triggered and I'm I'm emotionally shutting down. But out of love, telling them like this is what's happening with me, I'll be back XYZ mm-hmm. time, and that's when we can re-engage. And then as the other person, being able to hold space for them to do those things. Yep. When you have a relationship where two people are willing to do that, whether or not you're anxious and avoidant, it doesn't mean doom anymore. That that in itself, you can have a healthy relationship with these dynamics going on, but hold space and then both kind of travel together back to security.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you brought up a, a really crucial point. Um, that reminded me of something, it's that the difference between what the brain is doing versus what the mind is doing, right? Um, the uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf who I had on the show talks a lot about the separation between like the brain and mind connection, you know, the brain being the physical part, the mind being sort of the mental emotional part, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of times what our brain will do instantaneously is seek comfort immediately, you know, if there's instability, how do we comfort ourselves? How do we make the the sort of Physical body feel safe, you know. Um, how do we calm our nervous system down? And you know, a lot of times we attach ourselves to these boxes as humans. We, we're uh, astrology. Okay, I'm a Scorpio. I'm a Taurus. I'm a Gemini. I'm a this. So we start just acting like that. We, 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 we use it as an excuse to just be an asshole or to not do any work, right? Um, same with attachment theory, right? Um, and this is where consciousness comes in. If you're using attachment theory unconsciously, you're going to just say, "Well, I'm anxious," so. I'm always going to be anxious and I'm probably going to get in this pattern of seeking avoidant partners and, you know, um, I'm just going to be this. And it's like, no, no, you it's not linear.
0: Or use it as an excuse.
1: Use it as an excuse. That's exactly what I'm, I'm alluding to is that you have to own it, right? And it has to start inward, right? So like, uh, for instance, I used to think of myself as a, an anxious partner all the time. And then when I really was honest about my last relationship, there were times I was secure. Extremely secure. There were times I was extremely avoidant and shut down mm-hmm. and was the actual, like, perpetuator of the issue. Mm-hmm. And there were times I was extremely anxious, you know, and vindictive and hurtful. And, and there, you know, again, the secure times are healthy times. So you're never one or the other. Like, the statistic you brought up, I would argue that 100% of human beings are not secure. Meaning that we, we're pliable. We can change. Like if someone pisses you off and say, hey man, you're looking really ugly today and you're not fully steeped in a sense of self, you're gonna be like, oh, that hurt my feelings. You know, this person's, I'm kind of feeling a little anxious or maybe a little avoidant. I don't want to be around people, you know? Um, that's a you know very like individual example, but it just goes to show that like, you know, our internal climate as well as our external climate sort of makes up our attachment, right? And what, the only thing we can control is the internal climate, So what other people are doing, you cannot control, right? Nor should you want to, right? If you can control your internal climate, and I'm not saying be some like inept, emotionally mute person. That's not what this means. You experience your emotions to their full gravitational effect, but they don't control you. You know, you don't become depression. You don't become anxiety. You can just feel depression. You can feel anxiety. It's their normal things, right? But to attach to them means that they become you, and that's not you, right? You can become secure. You can be in a secure relationship with a secure person. You will both be anxious and avoidant at some times, but the healthy relationships are able to communicate when each person is feeling a certain way and then come back to a place of security and groundedness, right? It's it's not linear. You have to work towards towards it. Mm-hmm. You can be secure for a year and then highly insecure the next year if you don't work on it right? Let's say infidelity happens or someone makes a comment or someone gets in a fight with the other person's family, like that can breed insecurity. How do you bring that back? You work together, right? That's what relating is. You relate to each other. You show up for each other and for yourselves, Right, um, and so I, I'd argue that these boxes we put ourselves in. I, and I'm, and I love astrology. I love, uh, you know, uh, Myers Briggs personality types. They're all intriguing information. But if we, if we get stuck on it, even human design, if we get stuck on this defining ourselves, we're putting ourselves in a box. And you, the whole idea is to open the box, right? There are tidbits of information for you to be like, oh yeah, I do have these little patterns, you know, with this stuff in my chart or with this stuff in in X, Y, and Z, and. Let's look at the healthy stuff I'm doing, and let's look at the not healthy stuff, and how do I become a more full, whole self? You know, um, and so I, I would, I would just urge people like, what are you using these descriptive factors for? Are they, are they sort of putting you in a jail that you're unconsciously subjecting yourself to, or are they opening you up? meaning you're you're open you're you're fluid you're able to connect with more people you're able to grow as a full self you know that should be your your litmus test on whether it's actually benefiting you or not
0: yeah the whole point of the unlearning is for us to be able to look at different patterns that we've played out individually or as a society not so that we can say this is who we are but so we can say oh this is what we can change because there is that mm-hmm. separation of our patterns and us, our mind mm-hmm. and our souls and you know our higher selves. And so in terms of like birth charts, Indian birth charts, astrology, depending on if you are into horoscopes or if you're into birth charts, those are all just information. It's information that you get to take and then you get to decide what to do with it. Uh, I also heard someone say recently, um, your nature doesn't have to be your destiny.
1: Oh, I love that. It In my mind, it's like let go of destiny and open yourself to possibility you know because there are no no doubt some intrinsic forces at play here right but we can dance with them and we can ultimately like you know pick our rhythm and pick our direction and that is possibility you know so again if you use these tools to define yourselves to stick yourself in a box and prevent you just like dogmatic religion prevent you from connecting right that's not spirituality that's dogma right spirituality is is opening it's connecting you with spirit which is a greater sense of connectivity to everything that's alive right dogma is opposite dogma is the construction of walls and you know i think if we just look at everything as the ability to take pieces and learn about ourselves then we will be off off to a better foot you know with this with this entire circus that is being alive uh, which is also beautiful at the same time you know and and i would just like to to add that um Every bit of growth and learning throughout your life will be preceded by a state of chaos. It might be a small state of chaos. It might be a large state of chaos. But no doubt, you will have chaos. Chaos is integral to the universe. It is integral to ourselves. You know, there are some things that happen that are inexplicable with science. Science will never explain them. That doesn't mean they're not happening, right? Um, and so I think we're, we're able to walk these lines as highly scientific, intellectual, analytical beings and also mm-hmm. highly spiritual emotionally connected beings right and to be able to hold both of those dualities at the same time and bring them as one then we're aware that you know these boxes that we're putting ourselves in probably aren't suiting us let's use this information to open ourselves and to connect with each other and you'll probably live a you know i don't want to use the term happier because sadness is is always going to be there but you'll probably live a more full um sort of personally spiritually rich life meaning that um you will no longer be afraid of what you don't have, you'll be appreciative of what Mm. you do have.
0: I think that's such a beautiful place for us to wrap up. And um, I feel like one, that that saying, I used to have that saying that you just said around before great brilliance, there's gonna be chaos. Um, I got it in a fortune cookie and I taped it to my laptop and it was there for nine years. It is something that I hope everybody can, can really feel and hear because I know there's so many people right now, myself included in different ways in life right now, who feel like we're in the middle of chaos. And we can rejoice in that in so many ways, because as that is is playing out, we know what's coming next. And that, again, is mirrored in in nature, because there's got to be death before there's rebirth. And so even right now, we're in the middle of winter, we're kind of sitting still, and this has been my work is really sitting still this season. And normally, I get depressed in the winter. Normally, it gets dark, and the days are short, and I struggle. And this year, Remembering to move, remembering to move my body to sweat, and also to just sit and be with what's here has really been helping me move through this in a different way. I want to ask you, Nico, if people are interested, I'm sure they will be after hearing this conversation and working with you, how do they get in touch with you? Like, Tell us a little bit about where you're at.
1: Yeah, thank you for the outro dominique and, and the plug for the podcast in the middle of the show so you can find me um, in multiple ways so star of the ego feed the soul is the title of the podcast it's available anywhere you listen to podcasts i'm primarily spotify and apple and then at that barraza boy b-a-r-r-a-z-a that's my TikTok and instagram handle and my website is www.nicobarraza.com and so if you're interested in working with me in a one-on-one setting or um, partaking in some of the the workshops or the courses i put on you can find all the information through that and yeah i'm appreciative for you having me on and having this wonderful conversation and uh, i just want to add that for the winter thing you are absolutely shining you know hopefully people can see you through the video but um it's it's obvious you're embodying you know the energy you're putting out there um and i think that's initially why i was attracted to having this conversation with you because when we were at the retreat as you spoke um there was just a sense of understanding and groundedness that i was like i have to talk to this woman you know so i appreciate you for the work you're doing um i think things are going to continue to open up and brighten for you and i'm excited to see um you grow in that way too
0: thank you i appreciate that and i, I really appreciate you coming on here mm-hmm. to the unlearning i think it's gonna definitely bless people who are getting to hear you and i can't actually wait to have you back on because there was like five other things that i could have gone down the road with you on so excited for having you on in the future and thank you so much for for also me. seeing where your work is going I, I already know that there's great things and you're already like off to the races but you've got a fan over here and somebody who's supporting you so thanks again If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you know when a new episode airs. Also, feel free to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. For show feedback and requests, reach out to us at the unlearningcom You can also follow us at the.unlearning.podcast on Instagram, or check out the show blog at the-unlearning.com.